This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and today I'm joined by somebody in the running to be the most frequent guest on the podcast. It's really between him and, man, I think Paul Danner. Danner. So you're you're in really exclusive company. That's really good company to be in. <laughs> I'm, I'm honored to be put in that kind of company. It is Tanner Brandt. Tanner is a mobile diagnostic tech programmer. You got your hands in a lot of places. Like it's hard to even describe you anymore. <laughs> a lot of industry consulting and industry projects, and I guess trying to make things better. I was thinking about uh, some of you may have seen my Facebook post that with the handle that I just had helped design for the charger. And I was kind of joking with myself of making another LLC of inventions for a better future LLC or something like that for all the consulting projects of everything I kind of take on is purposely chosen of like, hopefully it's filling a void or making something better in the industry. That's kind of the goal with everything. That's really the only reason I guess that I've gotten involved in so many random things lately. So while you guys are all busy typing all your thank yous to Tanner, I will take a moment here to thank our sponsor, Nap Auto Care. It's no secret we're facing a technician shortage. Nap Auto Care is addressing that. The free two-year apprentice program offers a variety of training to produce a technician with three ASE certifications. To learn more, members can visit member.napaautocare.com. All right, Tanner, your inbox is probably about ready to get flooded. (laughs) No, no thank yous needed. I definitely don't do enough. Save those for people like Paul and yourself. I don't do anything. I sit around and talk into the microphone. Talk into the microphone, help people make better tools, help people learn how to use Pico, help everybody with known good waveforms. The amount of stuff that you've helped with in the background, the amount of stuff that like, I guess other people help with in the background. I think about uh, our good friend Harv and like the amount of stuff that he had helped with in the background with snap on. And a lot of people have no idea that the vantage pro and stuff like that was all kind of, I guess like the modus heavily involved. Yeah. His era of helping with consulting stuff. Yeah. I kid you not. Like I don't want to sound sappy. It's not really meant that way. Although it'd be very easy to get sappy talking about Harv, but I mean, I kid you not. I think about him every day and I don't mean like think about how I miss him, which I do immensely. It's if I'm working on a car and I figure it out somehow, not, not necessarily every car, but there's a lot of cars, at least one a day, at least that I'm thinking about. I figured this out because of Harvey, a conversation we had, something he had posted about on IATN or Facebook uh, in IATN chat. Just knowing him led me to this diagnosis and just how important he was to, you know, whatever it is I've become. If I, however good I am at what I do, whatever that is, I'm not, I would never say, I don't think I have the proper perspective to do such, but it's largely in part due to him and many other associations I have, yourself included. I think about the days of IATN chat and I was, I think, 17-ish, 16, 17, 18, somewhere in there 
when I was on there and everybody else was way older than me. I'll never forget taking a phone call from one of the guys in Canada and it cost me $50. (laughs) (laughs) He called you collect. (laughs) It it was, uh, Will is the one that called me. My earliest memories of IATN chat were not, not so fond because it pretty much crushed everything I thought I knew. (laughs) You and me both. But once I kind of got my ego in check and came in with a more open mind and really, you know, not to turn this whole discussion into like navigating the learning system with uh, mentors, but once I kind of got my ego in check and realized that there's no reason I should expect them to give me anything, anything they gave me, I should be extremely, extremely uh, thankful for. And also if there was hoops that they were laying out for me to jump through, to stop thinking of them as being jerks and more or less as trying to help me out. But they're, they're also kind of qualifying me and maybe they had to earn their knowledge through trial and error, or maybe they paid a lot of money to go to a class or buy whatever materials, you know, whatever that may be, or, or networking that they created, that they interacted with somebody that they learned something from, but now they're going to essentially give it to me for free. All I have to do is jump through some of these hoops once I, once I started doing that and accepting that as reasonable, it changed everything. It, it ended up changing my perspective on auto repair, diagnostics, how things worked, what's really going on. Just really almost an overwhelming sense of how complex cars really are. And so I'm hoping in a future episode to have um, a former uh, engineer come on and talk about a little more in depth about just kind of what's going on with some of these systems and what's really going on. What, like, what are they really doing? Why do we have this system? Why did we used to have it? Now, why do we still have it? And how many different things are going on because of it? I haven't been on an ITN now for a few days, at least probably a couple of weeks. It is still worth plunking down money for the membership to go back through the archives and, and use these resources for, I mean, the conversations they're having about, you know, oxygen sensors and misfires and catalyst, catalytic converters and emissions systems, just even like thermodynamics of um, combustion. And you had some really, really, really smart people. Will it help you fix a car? Yeah, I think ultimately, yeah, it just makes you more well-rounded and at least more appreciative of what's going on. What What is going on under the hood of this vehicle or really, you know, within the vehicle? It doesn't have to be just under the hood, but. So I think about like for the, I don't know, the years of being around people and we've certainly been fortunate being around people, but like you walk into a room, people always say surround yourself with people that are smarter than you and try to be the dumbest one in the room, which is... I do that at Walmart. So it's very easy for me when I go to an event, just walk in and find the rest of you guys. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I go walk into an event. If I walk into the hotel, people start hemming their bags to take up to their rooms. Exactly. Bellboy. (laughs) But everybody looks over me, so like I'm a nobody. Everybody (laughs) sits directly over top of me. (laughs) But I guess where I'm going with this is like the amount of people that are at events and on forums and things like that 
that people maybe don't even know about or know who they are. I literally, I'm going to, I guess, move our conversation this way from what I was originally thinking, because I like this topic now. And oddly enough, I shared something on Facebook that another one of our friends shared, so I completely stole it from him. It was a thing about a world-famous violinist that did this experiment, and he played in a subway and nobody knew he was a world famous violinist. And I read it and I'm like, oh, this is a really cool story. And it's about like basically making sure that the people that you surround yourself with kind of know who you are and respect you and help you and, you know, want to see you succeed. So then I Googled it and I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is a true story. And it was. There's a whole like PBS NewsHour YouTube video of it. And this guy like real life did this experiment and nobody knew who he was. And I think about it happens here in Greenville all the time. There's two um, twins that play electric violin and they're also like world renowned concert violinists have been on the Today Show and have played at the Grand Ole Opry and all kinds of stuff. And they do like pop up shows in downtown. Phenomenal. Really really like awesome music they'll do like any new music sometimes sometimes they'll do pop music sometimes they'll do rock music like and they just show up someplace downtown typically sometimes they show up at a bar sometimes it's in the middle of like the it's called noma squares downtown just random places but like a lot of people that are walking around have no idea who they are but I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, I shared that today and I think about the amount of our friends that have done good for the industry that have had input on tools, the Snap-on tools, the Autel tools. Um, you know, one of the ones that comes to mind, a tool that I use all the time, is the Phil's Probe. And a lot of people don't realize that Phil Frenier, that is a standard motor products trainer, is the one that made that and don't realize that they could be taking a class from the guy that made the probe, us know and love. I guess, like, there's just so many of those people. I think we should bring up some of those people. What ones do you know of? Well, Miles Wada is one of them. Uh, he's now retired. He was worked for a small independent shop for many years, I believe out in California. And um, he was a genius tech for one. And two, he was one of those snap up, snap on beta testers in the Vantage, Vantage Pro Modus era. I, I just had so much input along with Harvey, along with Scott Manna, uh, that I know of off the cuff. I, I'm sure there's more. So I think that group of beta testers that Snap-on had, it was nationwide as into Canada, was a big reason why they really had a dominant platform for, I mean, many years, arguably a couple decades, spanning from the red brick through the uh, graphing red brick to the kind of the soulless modus platforms and maybe starting into the early Virus, like Snap-on was pretty dominant. And I think it had a, a lot to do with having a high-quality beta test team that was spread out across the country, as well as the staff, engineering staff, listening to them. And I don't know if that's the case anymore. I just, I don't. I don't know of any of our friends involved in Snap-on beta currently um, anymore. And I guess maybe we should kind of talk about what beta is and how that works is probably a lot of people don't understand like how a tool is brought to market. I guess that's probably something that doesn't get discussed either. So 
Matt and I have both been on multiple beta teams. Matt was kind of, I guess, the one that got me started doing it. And when a tool comes out, a manufacturer basically builds the tool, whether it be a scan tool, a multimeter, a set of pliers, it doesn't really matter what it is. Uh, They build it, they come up with the design, the software and everything, but they don't know if it's any good until they give it to testers. So typically by the time that a consumer sees the tool, there's been a group of people that have had a ton of input in it and have basically fought through the pitfalls and the pain of software not working correctly or a tool misfunctioning botanology from when a tool is in you know, prototype stage or beta stage, where the buttonology is and where it ends up when it's finally out to consumers is, you know, sometimes completely different. Basically, there's groups of people out there that have, you know, tons of input on new tools, new technology, new ideas, things coming to market. And without those groups of people and without their brains and their knowledge, stuff would not be like nearly as good as it is. If a tool just got put out to market with no beta test group, we'd be in a world of hurt, I guess I would say. And it's really always eye-opening to me. I really enjoy working with people, I guess, in the teams that seeing everybody's you know, knowledge and the way they think through things and things that they catch or things they see. And I know I enjoy doing, and I've been doing a lot of software stuff, obviously, and buttonology things and stuff that like you don't really, I guess, normally think about of the one that I'm working on right now. One of the issues was just, I went to click on a button to update to a next page and the button was white and the background is white. So you can't see the button. And it's just, you know, it's sometimes it's little things. Other times it's thinking through, you know, if it's a platform that somebody has to take payment through thinking through the refund process of it. So like this platform I was part of, it's called leaders lodge. It's in another country that, was for the consulting stuff and thinking through like if somebody takes payment and then that platform pays out the person that's taking payment and then all of a sudden the client wants a refund, but it's two weeks later, the platform may have already paid out the, I guess I'll call it the expert in that point. And then all of a sudden they want a refund and now the platform no longer has the money because they've already paid it out. So there's so many weird things that go on in the background that nobody thinks about when stuff is being built up, thinking through every single one of those steps and just what goes into that stuff and what goes into software, what goes into tools. Um, I think about Carolyn Coakley and Chris Clodier and, you know, Carolyn Coakley is the owner of Shopware and Chris Clodier is the owner of auto text me and their minds, the way they work and the way they, think through things it's just you know amazing to me i love talking to the two of them they're such great people and you know good friends of mine and have helped me tremendously and the things that i've learned from them i've put into beta testing and prototype testing and it just it's mind-blowing to me yeah i think um another one that comes to mind is perkins keith yeah perfect example he's uh you know maybe one of the newer ones although i think he's been doing it for a few years yeah, Keith, Brian, a lot of helped with. I was going to say so, Brian. Uh, last program yeah, I, I was going to say Brian, I feel is like almost a prototypical beta tester because he really goes through the whole tool. Not saying Keith doesn't, but you know, I've, I've witnessed it with Brian finding just little stuff on navigation and working, literally working through it menu by menu. He takes it very seriously. It's he's very, very good at it. 
think about like where Pico is now in comparison to where it was when it first came into automotive because of the amount of input that got put in with mostly you and your friends that were part of that. That was kind of before I was involved with anything with Pico and I still really not. Justin has done a lot with Pico, Justin Morgan. It's kind of mind blowing to think about where and how stuff has gotten to this extent. I guess I would think a lot of those guys, A, don't get enough credit. B, a lot of people have no idea that that goes on in the background, that that's how product testing works, and that some of their friends may have shared a pretty big part in stuff coming to fruition, I guess. Pico had a pretty wide network of people from worldwide, and then you have a couple groups, I guess, if you will. I'm not saying I guess there wasn't more groups throughout, but you know, the U.S. seemed like we had a couple of very distinctive groups or camps, I think had some influence. I'm trying to think of other people. Scott Mana. Well, Mana for sure. You know, Mana was very, very involved in Snap-on. Yeah, I mean, he lived close to um, a couple of guys that were kind of the liaison. One of them was specifically a liaison between the beta team and the software team. Mana would often have a couple of everything. One to run the very latest version. The other one, because he still had to fix cars, had the latest version that worked, you know, working through the bugs, finding bugs. The new version won't let me do this. The old version does. Other tools, like kind of like Launch and Autel and many others, I guess I don't even know if I have to pull, talk about them specifically, but they kind of let you backdate. You have version 10.1 and something seems off. You can go back to 9.9 or 10.0 and, oh, hey, it works. And then you can send back, send feedback. Uh, although sometimes their feedback stuff is broken, but you know, top done, we definitely have a link to somebody in the United States to talk to, you know, email, instant message, text, whatever. There's, there's people out there, Hawken being one of them, Chad being another one that, hey, this is jacked up. You know that way it gets somewhere. Uh, Autel, we have a lot. You know, um, Michael Flink. The amount of meetings that we had at Autel, like all the way up from people involved in engineering to CEOs that were in meetings that wanted to know about the tool, wanted to know input on ideas, um, remote experts, or it was launched. You know, that from... The day that that was literally just an idea of, should we do this? Is this a good idea? Um, how should we do this? Like, I think about how many changes that program has gone through. And now, obviously, Top Don's a version of it. The input it takes and the brain power that it takes to get that stuff together, A, from the engineers, the engineers being able to do what the guys come up with. Like, I think that's one of the coolest things to me, too, is the engineers don't get an, enough credit. Sometimes, like, you find something that's wrong and you're like, this doesn't work at all. When we were doing Autels beta, we had an entire car line that didn't work. And we let, we told them and they're like, give us an hour, like an hour later. We had an update and everything worked. Yeah, I ran into a Toyota early on with a 908P. I think it was the 11th step was broken. And I, I kid you not, I sent a feedback form in. Maurice Miller calls within, I don't know, 15 minutes. And they have a patch sent to me that day. It was later on in the day. I mean, it wasn't just like, you know, super fast, but like, we're really lucky. <laughs> I guess we're turning into name droppers, but 
we're really, really lucky. Maurice Miller. Maurice is a good example because a lot of a lot of people don't know that like he exists because he's quiet. He works at Autel. Uh, he helps run tech support and beta teams, and he's phenomenal to work with. And man, some guys beat him up, you know, during beta, and stuff. <laughs> he just takes it. And he's so knowledgeable and so good with that stuff, and has done such a good job with those teams. And uh, now Paul Marshall, you know, one of the guys that's behind the scenes at Autel with. Uh, remote expert. He's one of Autel's guys that took on that project. And you guys wouldn't have remote expert out in the world if it wasn't for, you know, those guys behind the scenes really thinking through it and taking feedback and taking the lashings too from some of the guys that aren't, aren't as nice about it. And I guess that's one of the things too to bring up is when something is out in the field and it's broken, uh, we know that some of the tools had issues where, like, if you did a system scan and then cleared everything, that it would brick a, uh, I think it was an airbag module on the Toyotas. And, like, yeah, that sucks. And being the shop owner and it's the customer's car, it sucks. But, like, somewhere a line of code got screwed up and it didn't get caught. And an update, you know, it, it went through beta and that wasn't there. And then an update came out and nobody in the beta group scanned that specific car. And that's how it ended up out there. Some people, I guess, get like super upset and they're like, they did it on purpose or, you know, this is dumb and they didn't know. And like, man, the amount of stuff that goes on behind the scenes and the guys that are, you know, in charge of that, at those companies that take a tongue lashing <laughs> the Facebook world and stuff. And it's an honest mistake. And GM Techline Connect is a good example of that right now. You know, there, there's, you know, definitely been some FDRS. Yeah. FDRS is a good example. And with Techline Connect, I mean, Bob Stewart is the guy that is in charge of that. And Bob is, if you guys get involved in ETI, which I highly recommend equipment tool Institute, you will see these people and they're part of equipment tool Institute and you'll see them uh, speak And equipment tool Institute last year opened it to shop owners. So now you guys can sign up and see stuff that goes on there. So Bob works for GM and Bob is, the contact for most of us with TechLine Connect if we're helping with uh, any of the development stuff for like trying to find bugs and things like that. And he is such a champion for the aftermarket and does so much. Like TechLine Connect was a brand new program. And yeah, there's been growing pains, but in comparison to like other manufacturers, we were just complaining earlier about Nissan and that to find the right file, we realistically in the aftermarket have to have fast and we don't have access to fast because it's technically a parts department login for lack of a better terms. I mean, it's, that's what it is. It's the parts department's lookup and we've never had access to it. And if you have multiple files on a Nissan, you have no way to figure out what the right one is without fast. So without calling somebody in a dealer or having a connection, it's a huge pain. And GM's been so good about like, we want it to be easy. we, don't want to lock people out. I think about like there's no VSP login anything for GM other than if you need a key code. You know, it's not like we're with Chrysler, we've got to log in to get a pin code, and with Ford, we've got to log in to get or to do a PCM or BCM parameter reset. Now, you know, guys like Bob and Bob's background was he was a dealer technician that then joined GM corporate and like went up through the ranks. So he's been in everybody's situation. Manny does such a good job of 
putting up putting up with getting beat up along with the hotline people the hotline people there are super helpful too but i guess nobody really realizes that in the background there is you know there's an actual person that's there that cares sometimes we forget we get angry at what's going on and forget that there is people out there that are helping and trying to make it better guys like bob and then i think years ago i don't think he's with them anymore but uh, toyota had what mark saxenberg and how they went to bat for us not just went but continue to go to bat for us the us the aftermarket legitimately trying to get this stuff to work they view it as at some point it benefits them for people to have repair options while it may sound like all sunshine and rainbows for a dealer to f- virtually force their uh, vehicle owners back to the dealer it really starts falling apart and it's much better for them to have vehicles that are serviceable by a wide range of entities as long as that service experience is positive. And then if they were to switch to a different car line where they, that's not the same case, they're going to go back to the other one. So just pick on Toyota because I mentioned Mark. Buy a Toyota. Yes, warranty period. You're taking it to the dealer. And then overwhelmingly so, out of warranty, you're going to an independent shop. And if they have fairly easy access or easy access to service information and diagnostic equipment that's affordable and works, right? (laughs) At some point, I don't even care if it's affordable or not. I just want it to freaking work. I want to pay my money and have the stupid thing work. I really hate it. When I do what I'm supposed to do, I have what I'm supposed to have and it doesn't work. I, I hate that. Oh, I hate that. And that's one of those things that we like forget about. It's so frustrating to be in that position of like, okay, I have this and it doesn't work. Or me, if I drive to a shop and it doesn't work or something doesn't work, like, man, that's the most frustrating. Time yeah, I got a big fat, for instance, 2021 Nissan Rogue. And this thing had been around the block a few times, including dealers. And it was a flood vehicle, uh, but really, you know, to, um, at least stick up for the uh, the used cars dealer. It was in really nice shape. It looked really good. They, they, I think they did a really nice job of cleaning it up and trying to get it ready for sale. But they could not get rid of the ADOS warning lights. You know, so this just turned the instrument cluster into a Christmas tree. There's communication issues. So when I first got it, there was kind of some internal ADOS control module faults. And then amongst these other codes of other ADOS modules, so like blind spot, the radar module, front forward uh, radar module, uh, parking aid, stuff like that, they're all pointing at the ADOS control module. Or if you speak mm-hmm. Nissan, I think it's ICC2. You know, after screwing around with it for a while and trying to use console 3 plus R2R, end up talking to the Nissan dealer. Uh, parts department and find that the module that was in there was wrong and they had gotten it from the dealer and I'm sure honest mistake or whatever, or for them looking up parts isn't always as easy as we would like to think it is. So after a long wait, we get the proper ADOS control module. I bolt it in and I know there's things I have to do to it. You know, some calibrations pro not just ADOS calibrations, but also like programming and uh, some other functions. So I got my console 3 plus R2R and I got my Cardac 3 plus. I should be set. It's not working. Like I can't even navigate the stupid tool. 
I click on tabs, it freezes. I get into the programming section, it locks up. And I'm restarting and I'm restarting. And then sometimes it'll ID the vehicle in 30 seconds. And the next time it takes five minutes. And I'm, I'm finally about had it. And I'm reaching out to people who have legit console three plus. One of them was uh, Skundrich, Matt Skundrich. We use a uh, remote expert to try to set this module up. We think it's successful, but I still have a bunch of codes. I don't have the internal ICC2 codes anymore. Uh, but I have all these other ADOS modules pointing at it like I can't talk to it. I can talk to it with the scan tool, but they don't like it. So, of course, your power feeds, ground, scope, and can lines. And this ICC2 module is almost like a network hub. It has multiple, multiple protocols going to it. So I'm scoping them out because I really don't know what the hell I'm doing. But in, in the back of my head and in my gut, I feel like this is... This is a calibration issue. Like this thing is programmed wrong or I have another wrong module or this is like a setup. This is a configuration issue. Tanner and I kind of have a mutual friend uh, who works for Nissan. I think you mentioned him already. Jason Sanders. I met Jason at an ASC workshop. Tanner knows him fairly well. Tanner has console three plus. So we try remote expert again. Which was ultra sketchy because it dropped out like 10 times, which is just another example of things supposed to work that didn't work. We know there's these things we need to do. We just can't seem to get it done or we think it's getting done. Like Scundrich, I think legitimately thought it was getting done. You thought whatever parts you were succeeding with were getting done. The stuff you weren't succeeding with, you know, there, there was an issue. So now I'm fairly convinced that there's an issue with, you know, whatever, you know, J. 2534 protocol is going on or the interface. Uh, and we tried both um, Cardac 3 and Autel interfaces. I don't think it was a manufacturer of the interfaces issue. I think it was something else with like protocols. So then another good friend of, uh, of ours, Sean Tipping, comes down to my shop with Consult 3 Plus. And within, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, car's fixed. And it was all configuration stuff. So then I'm like, I'm bouncing because it's like, I, I have the interfaces you guys say will work. I paid my money. I have more than enough PC to run your software. It's I'm doing everything the way I'm supposed to be doing it. And it doesn't freaking work. And I've spent a good bit of money on this and it doesn't work. And, it, and it's not just Nissan. Like I'm not just crapping on Nissan because this this is cross platforms. I've run into the same issue on Kia, Hyundai. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm, I could throw everybody under the bus. But one of the big differences I think about with Nissan in particular is in the aftermarket. What is our next step? You and I. It's call our friends. Who do we have? Jason is a trainer at Nissan Matt and I know him through writing ASE tests and that's how we met him. So we made that contact. Sean Patrick Tipping has a, another podcast and is a good friend of ours and phenomenal diagnostic guy and just awesome all around person. Matt was able to lean on him and get it fixed, but like Nissan doesn't have anything for us now at the dealer. They have a hotline that runs 
24 hours a day. <laughs> the guys, from what I'm told, get beat up pretty bad. <laughs> the guys, they used to hire through IATN, and that was how I originally met the, some of the hotline guys there. But like, there's nothing for us versus with GM. If we were having that issue with GM, you'd call the AC Delco hotline and they would log into your computer, try a bunch of stuff. If that didn't work, they'll give you the old software and try that. And like some of the companies genuinely want to help. Um, Toyota has people that we can call if we're stuck. Like we have to have somebody where then we Ford and Chrysler are a good example. Ford, if you call, they'll help you set up the software. They're not willing to go any further than that. And same with the Ytech help desk right now. You can call the Ytech help desk and they are phenomenal with getting the software set up and getting you working. But if you're like, hey, I have this file and I just put a file in something and it deleted the VIN like I had a couple years ago on a Jeep, they're like, yeah, we don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and luckily, I mean, we have NASDAQ, so then we file an SIR and you can eventually get to somebody. But the manufacturers that have people that are out there and have an avenue for the aftermarket, I've talked with some of the dealers that some of the OEMs too, I know that sometimes they get hung out to dry as well. I mean, sometimes the help that they get isn't any better than what we get. So it's not always just us, but we certainly, there's some manufacturers that don't care about testing stuff, knowing if stuff works, having a avenue, having someplace or somebody for us to call and say, hey, this doesn't work. You know, we can file an SIR and that's our only recourse, but some of the manufacturers aren't great about you know, fixing stuff or they don't really want to allot the resources to fixing it. And they may reach out to NASDAQ and Donnie Seifer and say, hey, we saw this problem. We don't have a fix for it. We get told this. But a lot of times there's no follow-up or there's no, you know, hey, can we talk with this person and figure out what's going on? Ford actually did a pretty good job through Diagnostic Network. There was a lot of um, SIRs that were filed for IDS and FJDS. This was last year, more or less. And finally, somebody came through at Ford, got allotted to a position. He reached out to a whole bunch of us. He's like, what's going on? Can you get back to these cars? How can we test it? That's another thing that's not thought about sometimes with manufacturers. Uh, GM right now is a lot of the issues with TechLine Connect was older vehicles. And all of the OEMs don't have older vehicles to test out. So they don't have any idea if it doesn't work. But man, with yours, with the Nissan, I mean, that was a brand new vehicle. And obviously they don't know because they have console three plus at the dealer and it goes through without any issue. But because on the aftermarket side, well, I guess truthfully though, Matt and I were both over different remote programs. So stuff dropping out, stuff not being sent through the bus, you know, correctly, things like that. But it's just, it's definitely frustrating. And it's even more frustrating when there's no way to get help on it. Hey guys, Matt here talking to you about what the Napa Auto Care Center program can do for your business. You probably already know the Napa brand is the most recognized and trusted name in the automotive aftermarket industry. In fact, studies show nearly 95% of customers recognize Napa and associate it with quality parts, service, and technical expertise. So why not complete? a ProImage upgrade and take advantage of that. ProImage is a co-branding program for the exterior and interior of your shop. On the outside, it includes the Napa colors and distinctive Napa signage. 
While the public may know you as a reliable, locally owned business, a ProImage upgrade helps set your shop apart from the competition even further. It is also a visual signal to your customers and potential customers that you and Napa are partners. Most importantly, ProImage really works. This co-branding opportunity has helped Napa Auto Care Centers across the country increase their car counts and sales. In fact, those that have completed the ProImage project enjoy an average of 23% sales increase during their first year. ProImage upgrades are also available for the interior of your shop. A ProImage interior upgrade transforms your customer waiting area from merely utilitarian to warm and welcoming. The goal is to maintain your shop's independent identity while enhancing the customer's experience. You can get a free look at what a ProImage exterior or interior upgrade can look like by visiting the Napa Auto Care member site and clicking on the Napa ProImage link under the Napa ProImage tab. Or contact your local Napa Auto Parts store. Your servicing Napa store can tell you more about ProImage plus the hundreds of other reasons to become part of the Napa Auto Care family, the largest network of independent auto repair shops in the country. I have a lot of faith in uh, Donnie Cypher, I think we're pretty lucky to have him where he's at. Uh, I remember being, I called him up or emailed him and I was livid because I'm pretty sure, yeah, it was Volvo. And again, I'm jumping through all the hoops. I'm paying, it was quite a bit more expensive back uh, when I was doing this, jumping through all these hoops, paying the money, waiting only to find out after all of that, their servers were down. It was on their end. And I was just beside myself. Like, I, you know how much time I killed doing this and how much money now I'm going to have to try to get back or have them take and put towards a, a new subscription and all that. Why can't they do like BMW and just have the, the light system? Is the system up or not? You know, we have every reason to believe everything's working. We have had no complaints, no issues, green light. It's a go. Before I plunk down any money, I have every reason to believe it's going to work. And the green light kind of helps with that. Is it going to be perfect? No, because eventually somebody's going to be the first person with the problem. Okay, so you're going to go on and it's going to be a green light and it doesn't work. It's going to happen to somebody. Hopefully not everybody. It'll be the Justin. <laughs> Justin and Seth, well, that'll, that's what After a too. while, I mean, they kind of had a system like that. And now, I mean, knock on wood... Every time I've used Vita, I mean, yeah, I got to reset my password, but at least I can do it. I don't have to wait 24 hours. Well, maybe not 24, but, you know, 14 hours for it to get reset by them. And usually it was never once. It was like three times and then it would work. The big reason why you don't have console three plus because currently none of us can get any of the botch interfaces. That's a kind of behind the scenes thing. And I, I think it's worth bringing up because I had a shop ask me, um, I just recently got a new MDP pod for Chrysler and I had been waiting because it was on back order. And now they have a big sign on their website, on Mopar TSP that says MDP pods are in stock. So it must be, they got a big shipment of them and now they want to get rid of them. So for those of you wondering, they're in stock, you can buy them. But for a lot of the I guess the rest of the aftermarket, sometimes they think that we're locked out because we don't have anything. I had a shop ask me because they were waiting for me to do a 2022 Jeep and I couldn't do it because I couldn't get an MDP pod. So they thought, you know, the shop owner came to me. He's like, is Chrysler 
you know, that bad. Are you locked out? Can you not do anything? And I said, no, the equipment's just on backward. We can do whatever, you know, the dealer can. We can get same MDP pod and stuff like that. And same for Nissan, same for Ford, for anybody. We can buy all the factory interfaces. So if you didn't know that, the factory interfaces can be bought. Unfortunately, right now, they're all on backward. Anything that Bosch makes, uh, so the GM MDI-2, the Ford VCM-3, the Nissan VCI-3, um, the Mercedes tool, the Jag- Jaguar Land Rover tool, all of those are Bosch tools, um, all kind of the same chassis, more or less. And they are all on backward. I ordered, and actually looking at the date, I ordered a Ford VCM3 on December 31st of last year, and I don't have it yet. Luckily for you, though, they've price locked it until January 1st. I, I have my like fingers crossed that they uh, don't like decide to jump ship and go, all right, we're going to switch and like do something else. And I'm gonna be like, all right, well, what happened to my order that's in limbo? Uh, I did not order mine through Rotunda. So my advice so that you don't end up like me if this happens is to order through Rotunda, order through um, GMAC Delco's site. I ordered mine through a dealer simply because it's a local dealer to me and I was trying to help them out. And I said I would order it through them. Um, And now if something happens, it's paid for. It was on a credit card last year like I'm going to have no recourse. If something changes, I'm going to be out 1200 bucks. And also though, in the, I guess to just throw it out there too, is the dealers are in the same boat. The dealers also cannot get them. So all of my four dealers that I take care of, I've mentioned it to them and I'm like, Hey, don't break the VCM three. Cause you're not going to get another one. So <laughs> another thing that popped in my head too is, I mean, I know we're talking almost primarily scan tool stuff, but having good people in high places or in good places to benefit us. Another one is Eric uh, Edberg with Autoland Scientech. Like how lucky are we to have him? He's a kind of like Chad Snitz, kind of like uh, Maurice Miller. They're at the trade shows. They're pretty high up. Eric's along there too, where he's at the trade shows. He's usually in the booth for Autoland Scientech. And if you have, questions or issues he finds an answer he gets it done people like that do need to get their share of fanfare they really do need some recognition for that for just being good people who are also in positions that help us and that deserve our well thanks for one and recognition i think like you said there's a lot of these people that even if they're at that booth you, you see them, you know their name, you have their card, but you really don't know what they do and how much they do. And it's important to know. And I'm really trying to rack my brain more for those behind the scenes. The amount of people that are like CEOs of a big company that are at a booth at a trade show and nobody has any idea that they own it. That's one of the things I think I get the biggest kick out of is the people are the people that are in those positions are so humble and so like kind. You wouldn't ever know they're just like a normal worker at at the company that they own and they're there to listen, take feedback, see what people like, what they don't like, um, try to make things better. The amount of companies that come to trade shows. I guess that's kind of one of the things too of like going to Vision and obviously 
vision registration just opened. So if you haven't signed up, sign up for vision um, and come to the trade show and see what we're talking about. But the companies that go to the trade shows and support people and want to take input on the products and try to make things better. Another company and person, I would say, uh, Redline Detection and Alex Parker. Alex is super involved in SEMA. And a lot of people, if they're on LinkedIn, they'll see her stuff. If they're not on LinkedIn, they won't. And they may not have any idea to know that she exists, but her and her husband own Redline Detection. She's part of SEMA Launchpad, which is a program that basically helps entrepreneurs get money and like start a new business in automotive. So it's just time that those people put into other things that they really don't need to, but they're willing to and willing to take feedback on different products and, you know, how that has shaped their companies. And I think it's a, you know, a good example of companies that do really well typically are the companies that take feedback really well and get involved with the industry and they don't, you know, hide out. And I kind of, unfortunately, I'm going to beat up snap on a little bit here and I, don't mean anything bad by it, but like, look at where they were in comparison to where they are now. And we don't ever see them at any trade show except for their own. And I guess obviously at like SEMA and stuff like that, you may see them. But aside from that, I mean, we don't see them at Vision. We don't see them at AST. We don't see them at any of the conferences. They're not sending people out there. And the couple times I have seen like, Big tool companies like that, not just Snap-on. So any of the tool companies at this point. The couple times that I have seen people, I've, I'm a networker. I will perpetually go and talk to people and try to find out what the person does. In my Ubers, I ask people what they did before Uber, or why they're doing stuff. You're not TP Link. You're TB Link. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the amount of people that I have met from just like asking them what they do and stuff like that, always talk to people and always ask what they do. But like most of the tool companies, they're sales guys or, you know, it's not somebody that can make a call on the company. It's not somebody that can help make a change. Um, and sometimes not somebody that's willing to either. But I, I joke about my uh, Uber experiences. The last time I was in Chicago, I asked this guy, why he, what he did. He was obviously retired. He's an older gentleman. So I says, you know, how come you're driving for Uber? And he says, oh, I'm bored. And I says, oh, what'd you do before this? And he says, oh, I was an entrepreneur. And I'm like, well, tell me more. He owned a um, cell phone card business back in the day, like pay prepaid cards when that was a thing and sold it for like $30 million, like way back when and made a boatload of money. And so I talked to him about his business, all about how he started it, how he you know chose to hire people, when he chose to hire, how he grew it into this business, and then how he decided to sell it and make the call and like all this in the back of an Uber. So you always have to ask people what they do. Also, if you're at a trade show, you may not know what that person's position is. Maybe they're a salesperson. Maybe they're the owner of the company. But it's so good to get to meet the people and see good people behind companies. A lot. Scott Brown is another one that I guess I think about. Scott Brown owns Diagnostic Network. He also used to be the CEO of ITN. So some of the younger generation now coming in may not actually ever get to know what ITN was. But like Matt and I met each other through IATN. Um, I'd met Harv through IATN. I'd met Bill 
Um, you know, there's so many different people that I've met through IATN. All of that realistically came about more or less because of Scott, kind of. I mean, and his group of friends back then. He's in the stuff. Like, he's not out of touch. He, he deals with cars and customers just like any shop owner. And he's, uh, you know, definitely more on the cutting edge than a lot. And he's been extensively involved in beta testing and prototype testing of tons of products through the years and helped me get involved with some of them. And he's another one. You'll find him wandering around at a trade show, teaching a class at a trade show. And the younger generation would be like, oh, who's this Scott Brown guy? And have no idea of the whole background of ATN. And, you know, they never got to know that. Yeah. Sidebar, we're talking about EEPROM stuff. Back in the day, he was already kind of doing it. Maybe not quite the same, but uh, he was in the performance shop and they had a dyno and um, they had readers for proms, memcals, if you want, if you will. And they would take them out of the engine control module and stick them on a, uh, we'll just say a reader and alter, remap it. It's, it's crazy. So he's already quote-unquote old technology is ready for the new stuff or the quote-unquote new stuff. I don't know. People like to joke around about some of the uh, the dinosaurs, but man, they, they had their foot in on a lot of stuff that still translates to now, uh, whether they realize it or not, right? Some of them don't necessarily realize just how much they know be, because of that stuff. And their thought processes of like, they came up with to do that back then and i don't know the ones that have been willing to hand it down scott's obviously a great example of somebody willing to hand down knowledge uh scott manna john thornton eric and uh eric ziggler and then scott Shotton, and just there's so many guys that came before us that are willing to you hit the midwest really hard there pal (laughs) (laughs) yeah the midwest is where it's at they you guys over there it's everybody is yeah, in Chicago area and Kansas area, there's tons of good people. A big reasons, John. I mean, it really is. No, no BS. I think I can say that relatively unbiased. A lot of it has to do with John. Yeah, I would not know like anything <laughs> if it wasn't for him and I mean everyone else too. But the amount of stuff that I've learned from John and uh, like I guess another thing people don't realize just how humble a lot of those guys are, and and that's why you like don't know that they've done the stuff they did or own the company they do. Or, you know, I, I feel like John Thornton could walk into a chain store. I'm going to say that's not involved in the industry and they'd have no idea who he is. And that's such a shame. Yeah. We live in this bubble where John's held in very, very high regard and rightfully so, but you realize the bubble is pretty small. You know what I mean? Like maybe I suppose he deserves to be on this list because so many don't know about him. And it's kind of funny to me, I guess, like that our own industry doesn't always recognize those people. Um, Other industries, at least I'm sure other industries have people in their industry that what I call live in a cage and they aren't involved. They don't know what goes on, but I had an experience here uh, in Greenville completely outside of our industry 
when I first moved here, I needed a vet for my dog. And I start looking, try to find this, like, where should I take him? And on YouTube of all places, I find this guy that's like a famous veterinarian on YouTube. And he does like veterinary practice management training. And he has a expo that happens in Greenville that is just like vision, but he's the one that runs it. And he works for these, I think they have four locations, but he works for this veterinary practice that's local to me. And I'm like, huh, this is cool. So I like start researching the guy and I don't know anything about veterinary stuff, but I realize that he's like this world renowned person or seems like this. So a year later, I go back home to New York and I get talking to a friend of mine that's a vet tech back home in New York. And she was asking, she used to be the vet for my dog. And she was asking about like, were we able to find a place we just got on that topic? And I'm like, yeah, I found this guy and his name's Andy Rourke. And she's like, oh my God, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, he's like legitimately a world famous vet. Like everybody in the veterinary world knows who he is. And it was such a like funny thing to me, I guess, to think about because they all knew who he was. And I'm from the middle of nowhere in New York. And now I'm in Greenville and everybody in New York knew who this guy was because they have this conference that goes on. He has a YouTube and everybody watches his stuff. And I'm sure there's bets out there that maybe don't, but I guess in automotive, it seems to happen so often that I feel like there's so many people out there that would have no idea who some of these big name people are. If we took them to their shop and had them apply for a job, they wouldn't know who they are. And that's so sad to me because the people have done so much. John Scott, those guys have done so much for everybody in the industry, not just the training side of it, but the development stuff of tools and the, you know, realistically vision and stuff like that wouldn't be what it was if it wasn't for the great trainers that came, you know, before us and, we're willing to share their knowledge. I certainly wouldn't be here. I wouldn't know half of what I do if it wasn't for guys that are our friends that I think about you in particular, like the amount of stuff that I would not know if it wasn't for you and it wasn't for ITN and stuff like that. But it's, it's just sad to me that the rest of the industry technically or seems to typically not know of like who these people are. Before I get on this little rant, there are so many people out there that people don't know about and just have no idea how really, really smart these people are and how interacting with them either at a trade show or a training class expo event uh, or just online through whatever type of social media group the you know be it like a facebook or a professional network like diag.net off the top of my head nobody knows john rogers how smart is that Bingo. guy <laughs> okay i am not there's no bs john if he's listening to this he's probably rolling his eyes or his van over but that's no lie how smart that guy is earl davis mind-blowing chad ball mind-blowing John is such a good example because he's like, (laughs) 
I'm gonna, he's gonna kill me for this one. He's, he's like, great. He's like the grandfather of mobile dice. He's not old enough to be that, but <laughs> he's not. But I like to tell him that. He might be the textbook mobile guy. I mean, that's just three. I think I could get rolling here and I could rattle off quite a few. But it part of me feels really bad that just not enough people know about him. I, I don't just what they do and how well they do it and what they contribute to the profession. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's locally, but for the most part they're bringing everything up and I'd love putting people like that over because they deserve every bit of it. Um, earlier we were talking about trade shows and vendors it's a pet peeve of mine because now I've been lucky, lucky to be involved with Pico early, earlier in my career, I guess. And in that booth, seeing what they pay to be there and the amount of effort put in to, you know, either design and build a booth or buy and put together the booth and be there, send people there. Same with like AES wave. They are, they're everywhere. Or most places. And if they're not there, they're sponsoring somebody that is there, you know, an instructor or a class. Think about what George and Carlos spend at a trade show to fly in there with all the stuff, be there, the dinners each year. The people that they bring in, right? They, they bring in people on their dime to be able to better help, you know, attendees people in the booth to find products, learn about new products, uh, learn about per- products they've purchased already and are trying to use in the shop. Yeah. What, what can they make? What can they make better? I mean, George's the U scope we wouldn't have without George that you activate. There's so much software that was, you know, has come and gone before I was even in the industry that he had stuffed, you know, that he built and man, you will not find nicer people than Carlos and George meant you like just, absolutely amazing people i think they just they deserve some of our time just legitimate and if you can buy something great maybe at the show especially down the road they're taking on the big financial burden of the entire event so while you may think that for this weekend event three days four days is going to cost just you know, we're talking about like the attending of it and maybe not travel costs and the hotels and all that, but just to attend, you know, I don't know, whatever it would be, $300, $500. It's painful. Maybe 500 bucks is painful, but it's way less because they're there. If they weren't there, that $500 would be, I mean, way more. I think far more than double, far, far more than double. They shoulder the big brunt, the the vendors, the people at the trade show. They're shouldering a big brunt of the load of the food and the treats and the really the classes. You know, they subsidize you being there for whatever that cost is. And it's it's annoying when people don't go to the trade show. It's annoying that they they don't go. They don't realize that they've a shorted themselves but they don't take advantage of the opportunity to meet those people. I mean, just to walk up and like shake their hand and thank them. And now 
don't do it to me because I will get really awkward and I am not worthy of that. So go and do it to like Matt because Matt's really good with that. And like definitely George meant you, Carlos meant you. <laughs> go up and shake your hand and thank you for everything that you've done. Usually look at them like they're crazy and then... <laughs> No, Matt, Matt deserves that as well. Whether he acts funny or not, Matt definitely deserves that. Um, but just like taking that opportunity to go and shake someone's hand and thank them for what they've done and, and get the opportunity to talk to them. I think that's seeing how humble they are and also like talking to them and within uh, George is such a good example. You talk to him for like 10 minutes and you're like, this guy's like way up <laughs> And it's just so enlightening and you learn so much the bar after vision. Like if you see those guys there, you know, take the opportunity to talk with them. If, if you see a group that you're like, I guess this has come up a lot, particularly at vision. If you see somebody and you're like, man, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I can go over there. Just do it. Everybody is super, super nice. I just recently, I won't go into this whole story, but I had that at SEMA for the first time in my life, I saw like a childhood hero and I was like, uh, and everybody forced me. They're like, just go meet him. And I ended up having dinner with him. It's like the craziest thing, but everybody in the industry is just so nice. So take that step, go over to people, thank them, talk to them, get to know them. Definitely go shake Matt's hand. I mean, I definitely got to meet my hero. It's Bryn Klein. <laughs> Brit's another good example. Look for the guy with a neck tattoo. That's the easiest way to find Bryn. Yeah, they they stole his likeness to make Subway Surfers. And it's terrible because Bryn should be... Well, maybe he is getting a kickback. If he isn't, he should. Bryn knows... He knows everybody. And nobody realizes that because he's so quiet. <laughs> he thinks he's humble, but he's nothing compared to Scott Manna. Scott Manna is the most humble person I've ever met. Yeah, but Bryn is definitely another one. Jim Morton, uh, Bryn will introduce people to anybody. Jim will introduce. The, Jim is really the perfect one to find. If you're like embarrassed and you're like, man, I don't know if I should go over there, just find Jim Morton. He'll take you over and introduce you. No questions asked. But you got to shake Jim's hand first. That's the <laughs> other part, though, is you have to take that step because Jim is another one. I haven't seen that guy in a while. Hopefully he'll make a showing at Vision. He was supposed to be at ASTE. <laughs> He's also going to kill me for this. They had an unfortunate, their rental home got the roof tore up. But on a more humorous note, he ended up with a porta potty in his tree in his backyard. <laughs> I mean, the fact that it was in the tree was kind of like, eh. But when he's up there trying to use it, that's that's when things got comical. <laughs> he, he climbed up there to look in it because I told him I'd give him $10 if he opened it. it. looked like one of those stunts from Jackass where he got in it and then it <laughs> fell. <laughs> when he told me it was empty, all I could envision was that at some point... I'm Jim Morton and this is Jackass. <laughs> Oh, he's going to kill us for this. <laughs> but all I could envision is this porta potty flying around and just everything coming out of the vent and then landing in his backyard. <laughs> Hopefully he'll make a showing of vision and we'll all get to see him again. If you shake his hand, you might want to have some hand sanitizer handy. <laughs> but hopefully, um, 
he's always been he was kind of hard of hearing so he got a cochlear implant so um he should be able to hear everybody a lot better which will be awesome for him and awesome for everybody that gets to meet him because he's definitely a talker and likes introducing people and when he was having problems here and i know for him it was super frustrating so i think he's buddy buddy with elon and he's got Neuralink. <laughs> the best thing now is he'll be able to turn us off. That's what my great uncle used to do <laughs> at family parties. You'd see him just kind of move himself back in the chair and he'd sit back. And I was the only one that he liked, like everybody else he hated. And I would watch him just reach up to his ear and push the button and turn it off. And I'd walk over to him and I'd go, do you want me to take you home? And he'd go, yeah, get me out of here. <laughs> I'd toss him in the car and take him home, but he'd turn off his hearing aid so he didn't have to listen to anybody. Uh, so, yeah, to kind of tie a bow on this, I've pitched an idea to Sherry Hamilton, who I would say runs Vision, but I think she she might run the world. At this point, the group is big enough. Yeah, I think they've pretty much taken over everything except like Target and Walmart. And maybe they have, and I don't know it. <laughs> But I pitched an idea to her and I, they've kind of done a little something similar, but I don't think they've gone very far with it. And it might seem corny. I, I can see how this will be con- con- very much conceived as being maybe construed. I don't know. One of uh, definitely a C word. I think it would be interesting or more than that neat to have a hall of fame. And the reason I say that is there, like we're saying, there's people that are well-known, maybe nationwide. There may be people that are known within our bubble. There's people that not enough people know about, which we've probably, you know, we've thrown a lot of names around in this episode. I really remember with Harvey, we knew that it was, that there was no coming back, that, you know, it, it was terminal, that his time was limited. I remember how lucky we were, all of us, just anybody that knew him, his coworkers, his family, his friends, uh, people that knew only met him at a trade show or in a class or only knew that name on IETN. That's all they knew about him, or maybe Facebook, that we had time to write something, to give some sort of recognition. You know, and he knew we're making this um, scholarship to go to vision in his name, hopefully forever. I mean, hopefully as long as there's a vision or as long as there's a certain trade show that Harvey's name will be attached to a scholarship and how much that meant to him and really his wife, Pat and kids too, to, to see the impact he had on so many people. For so many different reasons. Yeah. In our world, man, the way that guy's brain worked, right? It's just one of them things where you met him. He's kind of like George Menchu, kind of like Thornton, kind of like Mana. You get a chance to talk to these people, even John Rogers, John, accept it, that you leave way more humble than when you first walked up to him because you might have thought you were you know, the smartest thing you did was to go over there and talk to them because you now realize where you really rate and how much work you have to do. But Harvey also affected people. Like he was took up um, riding motorcycle. 
and he's very much into that. Had a couple of Harleys. Very much enjoyed that. And there's this whole group of people that knew Harvey as the bike rider, the funny guy, the nice guy, whatever that may be. I wasn't in that group. They had no idea who Harvey Chan was, to us at least. No idea. I remember on his Facebook when that one of the guys realized that in his motorcycle group and he posted that and said, I had no idea that, you know, he knew all these people had done all this stuff and was famous to all of us. And when that guy posted it and it was kind of eye opening to think about that, that, you know, a whole other group of people had no idea. There is some importance to recognize people like that. They, they, their name should go down somewhere and it should be recognized and people should be able to hear a little bit from them about their story. How has Steve Brotherton not gotten, ever gotten any kind of recognition? Like how, much, how important that guy was on IATN and helped so many people, not just with fixing a car and getting the proper equipment, but also just a philosophy of capability how important capability was and how important specialization was. He's proving to be right years later, right? Like it's still proving to be right. And to me, it's kind of tragic that you have these awards things, you have your awards um, issue and people that have won absolutely deserved it. Thornton won. I think one of the first uh, times through the special, I forget what the name of it was called like a wild card. I think that might be what it was called. The wild card deservedly. So, right. And that's really the first time I ever, that I remember him getting kind of national recognition and, uh, you know, Carm wanted to do or started to do uh, a series of like legends. You know what I mean? And I think Morton, George Menchu were on there. Um, These people deserve, uh, some recognition for what they have done and in many cases what they continue to do for the betterment of us all. And how I wanted to tie it up was essentially like I got to see and hear how important it was and how much it meant to Harvey to see he really touched lives. Like that meant a lot. And it kind of freaking sucks. It had to be while he's in hospice. Like, don't get me wrong. I am so glad he got to see that. How many people, I don't think Dave Corsi got to really see that. I know a few of us would go up and talk to him and tell him, but also we never expected him to pass away from, you know, that guy was such a fighter. Like he just kept going and going all these problems, all these hurdles. He was still there. He was still at vision. He maybe didn't feel the greatest, but he was still there. And then all of a sudden, like Anthony Williams, man, Anthony, right. Never got to see his dream come true. Never got to know, you know, the effect he had on everybody at everything that you guys have had at CTI and, um, Parkwest training and stuff like that. Obviously Chris Chesney was, you know, the mastermind behind a lot of that, but his right hand person, his protege was Anthony and Anthony passed away this summer and, you know, just never got to see, stuff come to fruition and really never ever got to, you know, know how much he helped people and see the things, you know, the lessons that he had and the ideas that he had in his head. And 
the way he had changed CTI and a lot of people have no idea that, you know, he was there in the background helping change thing and helping make things the way they were in that organization. Yeah. So the moral of the story is, uh, speak up, <laughs> go up and tell people that they mean something to you and don't be apologetic about it. Take advantage of the time that they, you know, they have, you have, and make that connection and talk with them, take the opportunity to learn from them while they're here and while they're willing and everybody will be better for yeah, it. And there's just so many people behind the scenes that do things that make what we do better. Wow. Thank you very, very much for being on again, Tanner, your open door policy. Nobody knows that this was Matt and I came up with this, uh, about 10 minutes before Anybody we started. Anybody that it. knows me knows that's about how I operate. So there's no surprise, but thank you everyone for listening. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Napa auto care for sponsoring. Thank you again to Tanner for being on and being such a great guest and friend. And uh, please, any uh, topics you want to hear about, if you want to be on the podcast, I'm pretty easy to contact through social media, Messenger, Facebook, or you can email me at mattfonslowpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow, diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.